And I understand that everyone taking part this evening is naked. That's the whole point, isn't it? Radio Latopia, in association with the bookseller, present The Naked Book. From the beating digital heart of the new world of publishing, presented by Philip Jones, here comes the future. Hello, this is Philip Jones, welcoming you to The Naked Book. In the week that Microsoft bought a fifth of Barnes & Noble's digital businesses, and we learned that ebook sales grew 360% in the UK last year, we thought we'd ignore all that and bring you the discussion Newsnight did not want you to hear. Yes, mummy porn. E.L. <laughs> James is everywhere, riding high on the success of her Twilight-inspired erotic trilogy, Fifty Shades of Grey, dominating the bestsellers in both physical and digital formats. The trilogy began life as a piece of fan fiction entitled Master of the Universe, but now, like Frankenstein's monster, it lives and has been unleashed on all of us. The three books, Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty Shades Freed, were the three best-selling print books last week in the UK, having begun as e-book sensations. So get your Kleenex out and demist your spectacles. This could be <laughs> sensational. You hear that noise? That is the sound of digital inevitability. Helping me tonight are the regulars. The bookseller's own master of the Twitterverse, Sam Missingham. Sam, we can't entirely ignore Microsoft and Barnes and & Noble. So who is going to be the dominatrix in that particular arrangement? Um, well, I think we all know who the dominatrix is in the industry currently, don't we? So, um, I mean, I think it's very interesting that they've got some backing, um, financial and technological backing of Microsoft. And hopefully it'll give Barnes & Noble a chance to kick butt or spank bottom or do something <laughs> similar. So that's exciting. Sounds interesting. Catherine Nealon. I noticed that other big story this week involved a certain master of the universe in the world of broadcast. End of days for Murdoch? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think no. um, there's no life in the old dog yet. Um, <laughs> people always compare him to, um, well, compare Sky to uh, the Empire in Star Wars, but I think, um, unlike the Emperor, I think he's actually going to carry on a bit more like Mr. Burns than anything. Blimey. Of course, News Corp also owns Harper Collins. Talking about Shades of Grey. The Naked Book, exposing the future of books, one page at a time. So let's get into it. Posh porn or just plain old erotic fiction. Whichever way you bend, the 350 Shades books are revitalising a genre that had gone, well, a bit flaccid. <laughs> they were the three best-selling books in the UK last week, with close to half a million spent on the printed books alone. 4p in every pound spent on a book last week went on the adventures of Anastasia Steele and the manipulative billionaire... Christian Grey. It means almost as much was spent in one week on erotic fiction that was spent in the whole of last year on the genre. Now, publishers, of course, are pioneering into this. Black Lace, the iconic brand dropped in 2009, is to, be, is to make a comeback. While HarperCollins is launching an e-book publishing arm focusing on erotica and erotic romance. Not quite sure what the difference is. It's going to be called Mischief. While the bookseller's charts man... Philip Stone tells me that two erotic novels debuted in Bookscan's Top 5000 chart for the first time last week, both by Justine Elliott. So we're talking big business, but it's not just about the sex. The books began, as so many do these days, as self-published e-books before they were picked up by Random House and remade as print books. It makes them the first best-selling e-books to also become print book bestsellers. So what's going on? Joining me tonight are two people who know. 
Scott Pack, formerly the most powerful man in publishing, now just a lowly publisher at HarperCollins imprint, The Friday Project, and head, of course, of Orthonomy.com. Scott, last year, according to our charts, man, you published the biggest-selling e-book, Confessions of a GP. With the competition increasing, how are you going to repeat that success in 2012? Um, I've got several master plans, um, and hopefully one of them will work. Uh, one of which is to publish Confessions of a Male Nurse. Um, <laughs> now, if there are any accusations of copycat publishing, I completely refute. Um, it's an imaginative move. Uh, I've gone from a general practitioner to a nurse, and I think that's quite a leap of faith. Um, I've called it Confessions of, um, just by accident, nothing to do with the first one. Um, so, yeah, it's imaginative publishing at its best. When's it coming out? Uh, it's coming out in August in print, but if we get the text ready in time, we're actually going to uh, release it as an ebook early because that's where Confessions of a GP has been such a success. And will it be available for a quid? The, it will probably start out. Confessions of a GP started out at 2 99 which, when we did that, which is nearly two years ago, was actually a lot cheaper than most other ebooks. That was when people were still doing this price parity thing, the fools. Um, so I think we'll probably start out at that price. Um, I think two ninety nine is you know a decent enough price, and we'll see what happens. Joining Scott is Dr. Brooke Manyanti, who shot to fame as the blogger and call girl Belle du Jour. Now, Brooke, you were really one of the very first internet-to-book sensations. What advice would you be giving E.L. James at this point? I think probably my biggest advice for anybody when moving from online to printed books is find a great editor and stick with them. Because I think that, personally speaking, I've really benefited from the steering that a good editor gives and you know they, they don't really sit there and kind of cross out every other word and reform your sentences for you uh, which I think is what a lot of people who are self-publishing or blogging or doing their own ebooks really fear uh, from your kind of traditional publishers but if you get a good editor in there who really understands where you're trying to go with your books and what you're saying with your books, uh, they can just nudge you in the right direction. I mean, obviously, she's got three incredibly successful books, successful worldwide, bestsellers in the States. Um, and, and I suppose the big question is, when you've done that, where do you go from there? You know, are you going to be an erotica uh, for the rest of your career as a writer? Is this the end of the story? Or, you know, wh where does it all go from here? Now, you've written five book as, books as featuring Belle du Jour. Mm -hmm. Did you have the same editor throughout that process? Um, I had... Uh, my editor changed when I got to the second book. Um, I had Helen Gardens-Williams, who left Orion for Bloomsbury after my first book. Um, and then since then, I've had Genevieve Pegg. And I have to say that both of them, I think, really got the spirit of what I was writing about. So I was, I was pretty pleased in both instances to get somebody who was happy to leave me alone and get on with the writing. But then when it came time to do the kind of heavy lifting of, of making it into a real book, gave advice um, that was good to hear. Because I think when you go from the online world, you, you get really used to writing things in an episodic sort of way, you know, trying to keep your, your readership hanging on day to day. And for books, that's not necessarily the best thing you can always be doing. 
because people want to see the story arc. They want things to wrap up at the end. Even when you're writing nonfiction, you have to bring it all around somehow. Join us live in the chat room for The Naked Book. Latopia.tv slash naked. Now, Scott, I built this as a discussion Newsnight did not want you to hear. Can you explain a bit about that? Um, yeah, so I can't remember what it was. Was it a, was it a week ago? Brooke, I can't yeah, remember. We... Yeah, it was about the 19th or so, I think it was. Okay. I have to go back um, in my diary, but yeah. Yeah, so so a couple of weeks ago, I was contacted um, out of the blue by someone at Newsnight who wanted me to come on to talk about Fifty Shades, and they explained that the author was going to be on and also Brooke. And um, I immediately went into that mode. If you've ever done an interview on radio or television, you immediately start thinking, right, what am I going to say? Um, what do I want to try and get across? You know, what, have I got anything to say about this subject whatsoever? Um, and I, uh, so I thought of some things I thought might be quite amusing. Every one of them involved some innuendo of some sort. <laughs> um, and I thought, you know, I can get a few of these in. This would be great. I can slip a few of these in as the evening goes along. This would be, this would be fantastic. They seem quite keen um, to have a publisher there. And um, so I think during the day it sort of developed. I got two or three phone calls and a couple of emails. And then as it got closer and closer, because actually this is quite dull, but it, it, there's a point to it. I was looking after the kids. Um, and um, and so I couldn't. They said, well, will you be in London? I said, no, I live in Windsor. I can't get there until, I can't leave till after nine. And they said, well, we'll send a car for you. And I thought, well, they're, they're proper serious. You know, they're going to send a car. This is brilliant. I can sit in the back and, and pretend I'm posh. Um, and uh, <laughs> But then the last couple of phone calls, I got one that said, oh, we might change our plan. It sound, We think the author might need to be interviewed on her own. So we might get you and Brooke in separately to do another piece, uh, sort of a piece after she's been interviewed. And subsequent to that, there was another phone call saying, actually, really sorry, complete change of plan. It's just going to be an interview with the author. So I don't know whether that was the author or the publisher saying they don't want to be part of a discussion or whether things just changed. But uh, but effectively, Brooke and I were dumped unceremoniously and yes. were unable to, um, to share with the nation. Um, oh, wit and wisdom. Uh, well, exactly. Now, I'm delighted we've got this opportunity to do it to a much larger audience than Newsnight. <laughs> well, Who watches also, that show anyway? But, but I'm also delighted because in Newsnight we would have had to kept our clothes on and I understand that everyone taking part this evening is naked. That's the whole point, isn't it? Oh, I've, I have my dressing gown on. So. Oh, well, poor show, poor show. Uh, Sam, are you naked? <laughs> I'm saying nothing. Catherine? That's a yes. <laughs> yes. My uh, mouth, my word. Yeah, lips are sealed. Mm, uh, okay, Brooke, did you did you watch um, the Newsnight show, the uh, the offending Newsnight show? No, I didn't actually because I think it was on the Wednesday night as this is, and I'm normally playing an online drinking game that coincides with The Apprentice on a Wednesday night. Uh, so I ended up doing that instead. Hang about. You're playing pissed. an online drinking game. How does that work? Um, we all sort of collect under a hashtag. Uh, yes, Lord Sugar, and whenever anybody points out any kind of business cliches uh, while The Apprentice is on or while uh, You're Fired is on, we all drink, which means we are completely on the floor and insensible by the first sort of five minutes. How many of you uh, are there? Is this some, some kind of cult? Uh, it is a bit of a cult, actually. It's hard to say. There's, there's very much a hardcore of sort of a few dozen people, but uh, we do manage to get up in the top trends uh, sometimes, usually because somebody will notice, uh, you know, like we had Giles Corrin notice that we existed and, and Dave Gorman has noticed that we exist. So, uh, I mean, remind me of the hashtag. 
<laughs> it's yes, Lord Sugar, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be on Twitter from nine o'clock tonight. So I'm, I'm imagining um, a different version of this with a naked book called Yes, Lord Philip. <laughs> How's that working out for you? <laughs> Do we have to take a piece of clothing off each time? <laughs> Whatever version you want to play is fine with me. I've only been on Newsnight once before, so I've I've not had the experience of the whole. They don't they don't tell you they're not having you until the absolute last minute. Like my last girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it was, but it was classic, you know. Call girls get clients who are time wasters all the time. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Meet me at this hotel at this time in this room, <laughs> and then the last minute you hear nothing and just think. Oh, I got all dressed up for this. Well, I'll stay at home and drink some. But the discussion is slightly legendary in publishing now. That it, in that the, the the presenter Paul Mason um, implied at the end that publishers were really just um, 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 gaining off the back of E.L. James's success in actually bringing out published books. Scott, you're you're a publisher. That's that attitude that publishers. Uh, a, a mere sort of um, parasites on the back of authors' successes. It's a bit annoying, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but I've just... You, now you've mentioned that, I've just remembered... I saw the, the writer B.S. Johnson, I don't know how many of you are familiar with him, fantastic writer from the 70s, experimental writer. He did a couple of TV shows, and I, and I, um, I saw one at the BFI a little while ago, and it was about uh, Dr. Johnson, uh, Samuel Johnson. He did a documentary, and he had little subliminal messages popping up, and one of them was, all publishers are parasites. <laughs> Uh, which crops up, so it's not a new thing. Um, and, no. and you know, to be fair, it's a perfectly reasonable view to have, I think, from some from from certain angles. Um, but if publishers can keep themselves relevant and actually do things that are interesting and add value to what people are doing, then it then it's fine. Um, the reason they get criticised like that is because there's so much copycat publishing that goes on, um, and and a lot of it isn't very imaginative, but. These people do also have to make money, and, and I guess sometimes you have to do it that way. Mm. And I think, uh, arguably, when it comes to erotica as well, that's something that happens quite a lot. I mean, obviously, being sort of in the in the first group of sex bloggers to get uh, publishing deals, and then it, that just multiplied and multiplied and multiplied, and then it ran itself out. And it was actually all the people who came after people like like me and Zoe Margolis, who were getting these uh, amazing, well, supposedly amazing advances for books that nobody uh, has since heard about or 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 seen again. And that kind of, you know, similar covers, similar titles. The number of times that, like, Bell or some variation comes up in a title of a completely unrelated book is always a source of amusement to me. Not that I'm arrogant, of course. I mean, has Bell de Jour sort of run its course for you now, or do you think you'll bring back the um, that character? I, th- I think it has, really, because obviously we were writing books at the same time that the television series was going out. And because they had only secured the rights... Uh, to material from the first book, we had to ensure that they wouldn't be writing about anything that overlapped too much with what I would be writing about. Um, so that character, you know, that's Belle is almost like a kind of offshoot of me now, and that character developed in a completely different way on television, which is now what people associate with rather than quite so much the books. And, uh, and of course, you know, as, as, as people have noted uh, quite, quite strongly and often when I came out, I look nothing like Billy Piper. I've got a bit of a face for radio. Um, so I think, I think that that kind of takes 
the mystery away from it slightly. I mean, part part of what makes good erotica is a bit of a mystery, mm. which uh, which I think is is kind of what E.L. James has capitalised on. I mean, you know, you look at the covers and also just E.L. James, what's the E.L. stand for? As soon as you start to know too much about who's behind the writing of the erotica, it does almost ruin it in a way. Now, Sam, you've read this book. <laughs> yes, I have. Tell all. I read about half of it, actually, in one night. I have to say... Um, Was it a good night? <laughs> <laughs> it had its moments. Um, yeah. How I many? Actually, <laughs> and, um, do you know what? It actually is incredibly easy to read and a complete page-turner, so it totally has that going for it, and I can definitely see the appeal. But... Ultimately, you know, the criticism that's levelled at it, that it's terribly written, you know, is true. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you feel about that, Brooke, whether you agree with it. Um, I, I'd have to be really cautious there. As a reader, I like things that have more, shall we say, defined characters. Mm. But then again, because it started as a fan fiction of Twilight, those aren't really very well defined characters to begin with. So it's, it's kind of hard when you, mm. you know, starting with that source material to really put something on top of that that's going to be convincing, to be honest. Mm. But for, um, from your point of view, Scott, I mean, a lot of criticism that I've sort of seen on Twitter about, you know, the fact that it's really badly written seems to mostly come from other authors, um, a lot of whom get turned away on a regular basis by agents and publishers who, you know, consider their writing a lot better. I mean, what, what do you feel about that? Um, it's interesting. I think a lot of the really big success stories of the last few years, you'll see a lot of people moaning about how badly... You think about Dan Brown, um, Stieg Larsson, Harry Potter, all this sort of stuff. Mm. Um, a lot of people criticise the actual quality of the writing. And I think yeah. part of it might well be that you've got very good writers looking at this stuff going, I'm a better writer. Mm. Why is this selling millions? Why is this selling millions? I'm better. And they might well be, but um, of course, uh, you know, readers don't necessarily respond to quality of writing. Oh. Um, they always, you know, they, they want a good story. And my point is that a good storyteller, um, and whatever you think of Dan Brown, he can tell a good story. Um, yeah. You know, that that's what's important to a lot of people. And, and what, what the, the literati think is important mm -hmm. or what, what people on Twitter think are important is not necessarily the same as people who are, the people who are going in in their tens of thousands in the last couple of weeks. To, yeah. to buy to buy this book and this series, and um, you know, so, so who are we to say? But for I mean, you know, one of the things that sort of criticism that's levelled itself publishes, and this isn't my expression; it's somebody else's. But they said, you know, that they're creating a tsunami of shit on the Kindle. <laughs> um, just wonder whether you know, as a as a publisher, you know, you you have you don't have do you have some responsibility for quality control? Um, you know, basically rising above the tsunami of shit. Um, I think uh, I, I spend almost every day trying to rise above, above the tsunami of shit. Um, I think the, the, the honest answer is that, um, depending on your own individual taste, you will see lots of crap writing wherever you look. You know, you look at published writing. I mean, people might think that, you know, a particular genre is rubbish or, or most crime fiction is derivative. I don't know. Um, the access that previously unpublished authors now have to uh, to a readership via uh, Kindle and self-publishing is dramatically changing the industry. And I think it challenges the industry in some ways. And one of the things it does say, and I think publishing has to wake up to this, is it all says, it sort of says, you know what? People aren't as fussed about the quality of writing as we've always thought they are. 
Because if they were, they wouldn't be buying all this self-published stuff in their hundreds of thousands. Also, they're not as put off by completely shit covers as we think they are, because huh. just spend five minutes browsing through Amazon and you will see some horrendous shite uh, in terms of covers huh. quite, high, quite high up in the chart. Um, and I think there is a reaction. If you spend £20 on a new literary fiction hardback and 100 pages in, you really don't like it. You're pissed off. You've spent a lot of money. If you spend 79 pence on a crime novel and think it's pretty good, you feel much better about things. What I found interesting about this phenomenon was when it first hit, um, everybody was saying it's an e-book phenomenon in that people don't mind um, reading on a Kindle because no one can see what you're reading. But as it turns out, it's also a print book phenomenon. They don't care if people see them reading porn on the tube. But it, to be fair, it does have, sorry, it does have the most unerotic cover um, sure, but of, if you see someone reading that on the tube, you're going to kind of know what they're reading. Uh, well, you, you will now. But, you know, you're, a, you're aware of what the book is. But I'll be honest, I've yet to see anyone read it on the tube. Catherine, have you seen anyone reading it on the tube? I haven't, but actually I was talking to a friend earlier and he said that he uh, helped a, a lady get access to some kind of Wi-Fi hotspot and um, <laughs> happened, to see, happened to see what she euphemism, was reading. Euphemism, euphemism. Uh, That's a hotspot <laughs> I want to go to. <laughs> No, I don't, uh, apparently she was uh, definitely sort of... It was definitely mummy porn, put it that way. That's, I mean, that's that's the thing that always interested me because uh, when my first two books came out, we sort of went for the discrete cover option. Uh, but, of course, the versions that have really sold very, very well have have been the paperback ones with Billy Piper in her underwear on the cover. Um, so... I can see where people might want to be discreet maybe in the early days of when something is gaining a bit of currency, but after a certain point, they just don't care anymore. And, and the eye-catching, you know, uh, here's somebody in a knickers will actually sell and people don't seem to be too ashamed to carry it. Scott, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew a bookseller at Waterstones who told me that um, their sort of erotic section to make things really sell, they would put the book's jacket out. Is that... Is, is that something you're familiar with? Well, um, yeah, I think, uh, well, any, any good jacket in any genre helps to sell the book. And if mm. you're trying to sell erotica, then you probably want some flesh on the front, don't you? I just thought. Publishing genius speaks there. <laughs> <laughs> put, some, put some tits on the front. I'm making we'll... those Billy Piper in her underwear. <laughs> Sam, sorry, I... I, uh... um, I was just going to say, the, all the things that I've read about it, um, which I, I must admit, most of it I've... I find the whole thing about mommy porn particularly offensive, but um, the fact that mums are discussing this in the school playground, you know, from Manhattan and Primrose Hill, et cetera, et cetera. So the, I think one of the things about this is it has sort of somehow become acceptable to a, a much wider audience than one would traditionally think for erotic fiction. I mean, do you, do you agree with that, Brooke? Yeah, absolutely. And, and in a certain way, because of its origins in in your sort of twilight fanfic in a way i i wonder if that has kind of primed the pump because a lot of those mothers will have you know uh young daughters who've been obsessed with these characters so so they they do know about the the kind of the background the setup as it were which which obviously now in its in its current incarnation isn't quite so obvious and you can go to the books without having that but i wonder if that hasn't been part of the word of mouth to go to it you know all of these mothers taking their tween daughters to the cinema and and uh gazing longingly at uh at uh 
young men with their shirts off, but, but, really. But, Brooke, how many... How, how, I mean, can you... I don't know whether you can quantify or not, but how many of your readers sort of enjoyed your books because of the the story and the characterization of Belle de Jour and what she was doing and saying about sexual politics and how many people just enjoyed the sex scenes? I, you know, I get the feeling it was an even split, uh, but I really only have been able to interact with readers since 2009 in, in a sort of more direct fashion since coming out. Um, so the, I, I think probably the feedback, had I been able to do, you know, signings or whatever back in sort of 2005 or whenever it was, 2004, 2005, might have been a bit different. It might have been a bit more focused on the sex, whereas people who have continued to be aware of the books now are perhaps a little bit more interested in the story and, and some of the other themes that went into it rather than just the, you know, insert tab A into slot B aspect of it. I mean, it took me to... Um, I had to read 100 pages of um, this book until I got to a sex scene. Last night. <laughs> Did it keep you, you up? You sound disappointed. It was an effort. I remember when I was at Walter's... When I was at Waterstones, um, one of the erotic... I can't remember which imprint it was, but one of the erotic publishers came in to see me um, and, uh, and was, exp you know, he wanted Waterstones to support erotic fiction a little bit more, perhaps to put, put some of it in a three-for-two and stuff. And he said, look, we're very proud of the fact, and we all say in-house, we have, um, we have a, um, at least one wank every three pages. That's how they judged. <laughs> no, I don't think he meant that literally, because they'd be unreadable. You'd, you'd <laughs> um, never be able to turn the pages, for one you, thing. You but but the, the whole idea was, yeah, every few pages there'll be something to turn people on. That was the whole idea. That was their whole ethos. Um, and I think, traditionally, erotic fiction, whether it be sort of Black Lace, which is coming back, um, mm. and uh, what Harper, HarperCollins have just done with Mischief, it, it, it's, it's very much... There's a formula there. And it's similar in the way that Mills and Boone has a formula. You know, they know what the audience wants and the audience will consume large amounts of it. They won't just buy one of these books a year. They'll buy one a week or, you know, two or three a month and, uh, and they'll keep reading it and keep consuming it, which... Um, so it's been... I mean, erotica uh, on many levels has, has always been around. It's, um, it's just that this has really captured the media's attention and i think you know for the first time since perhaps brooks book did uh, you know every now every few years there's something like this happens it's not always erotica but something like it happens which captures the imagination and then it becomes the book to buy now, do you think it's reached that stage is 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 this the the harry potter of um of 2012 uh i mean well there's always i mean it, Every now and again, if you think about the Steve Larsons and, and Hunger Games more recently and going back to things like Eat, Shoots and Leaves, and there's, there's, every three to six months, there usually there's a book that just goes beyond what, what, uh, what normal sales levels that you would expect. And I think um, that's what's happening here. It just so happens that this is a, a, an erotica book. Hunger Games, for example, started selling to loads of adults just before the film came out, because they thought, what, what is all this fuss about? And the Stieg Larsson over the last few years have, have done a show. And I think it's that. Every now and again, there becomes a book that, that is the one to read. And at the moment, it just so happens that it's, it's these three uh, novels and they, they happen to be erotica. But the, the uh, side effects of that are that you can sell a lot more in those genres. And I think that will be, be quite interesting because it's a genre that's been neglected for a while, I think. Why did it, why, why did it sort of go flaccid, <laughs> to, to coin a phrase? <laughs> um, I, th I think there's a, a couple of reasons. Um, I think that actually the, the sort of decline of sales on the high street meant that fewer places were, were stocking it in any great quantity. Um, I seem to remember it used to do really well in the shops on Charing Cross Road. 
there used to be massive erotica, huge erotica sections um, in the bookshops in Changra. So, so I think it's partly there was there was just a decline and a perceived decline, and it became more of a niche thing. Um, and and actually, the, perhaps the the rise in Amazon that people were were actually more comfortable buying it online than going into into a bookshop. There is definitely an embarrassment factor um, in going in and, and, and buying something that's got an overtly sexy cover or or something like that. Um, the same way as there is for for you know buying DVDs and, and, and things. It's I think there's a bit of an embarrassment factor, and, and Amazon gets around that, or ordering online gets around. Catherine, that. what are they saying in the Twitter voice? Um, actually, a lot of people are now um, playing the naked book drinking game. Hooray! <laughs> Oh, what do I have to say to Drew? Uh, we we've, we've created our own meme. Lord yes. Philip. Whenever, um, whenever any of us say anything that sounds even vaguely rude, people drink. So I think they might end up on the floor in a minute. Um, <laughs> Together. <laughs> drink, you fools. Um, as long as you're drinking along with them, Philip, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, um, there have been some interesting points. I mean, um, just to go back to... Um, the point that Scott raised earlier about um, perhaps the, the quality that people uh, maybe want from uh, a £20 hardback not necessarily being quite so crucial with a, with a cheaper ebook. People are saying, again, you know, it's kind of the novelty thing at the moment, but actually that's probably not that sustainable because after a while people realise that they're not very good and they will stop buying them. But this is a trilogy and they're buying all three of them. What, what's, what's that about? Well, well also, people, it doesn't stop people buying, you know, the, the 99p McDonald's burger at lunch. It's it's rubbish, but it's cheap, you know, and, and it hasn't stopped. No, I, I think um, I think it will. I mean, it's not sustainable at this level, but I, I think it will. I think it will sustain. I think there's a whole new area of our market, which will be self-published uh, e-books um, under a pound. I think there's, there's going to be a, a major factor and we can't ignore it. I think we'd, pay, we'd be paying even more attention to it if we actually knew what they were selling. There's no e-book chart at the moment, which I'm always banging on about. Um, I think it would really open our eyes when we saw how much some of this what stuff What surprised selling. me with the e-book numbers of, of, of 50 Shades was that um, e-book sales were, were only 50% of um, print sales. I thought they would be much larger. I mean, what's your experience of that, Scott? I mean, obviously, your big ebook success confessions were massively outsold in ebook format than print format. But what's the average across HarperCollins at the moment? I think uh, it does differ from genre to genre, and also from imprint to imprint. So Avon, for example, do extremely well with their ebooks, and they've got quite a, a, a strong pricing policy there. Um, I think it differs. I think um, you know it's sort of 10, 15 percent in general. Um, we uh, within the Friday Project, which is the imprint I run, we're seeing uh, you know 40, 50, 60 percent is not unusual. But all, but often this is uh, we're talking about backlist as well. So Confessions of a GP is two years old now. Um, and it actually outsold, you know, the, the percentage in the first couple of months of its sales were massively in favour of print. It's just that, of course, retail promotions last a certain length of time. And uh, once it left the three for twos, the ebook, the ebook took over. So, um, so yeah, it really depends on the title. As a really vague answer, I do apologise. But um, with Confessions of a GP, uh, we're selling consistently between two and three thousand copies a week, every week on ebook. And we're probably selling, you know, 100, 150 a week in print. I mean, Brooke, do you feel like you've um, sort of missed out in not in not being around when the ebook phenomenon has started to take shape? I mean, would would Belle du Jour have been a much bigger phenomenon as an ebook rather than a blog? Do you think? No, no, absolutely not. Um, because I think part of why it was my books as opposed to anybody else's that got that amount of attention was to do with the timing. When I started blogging, I was one of several hundred bloggers in the UK and of course now there'd be several hundred thousand probably um, so 
the kind of the kind of blogging I was doing and the kind of writing I'd done, if I started writing it now, it would just be lost in the swarm of blogs. And timing is such a big thing. Um, so, you know, if I had to make a prediction, I'd say there's going to be a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, self-published ebook authors getting snapped up, but that for any of them to sort of pull the hat trick like E.L. James has done is going to be very unlikely at that same level, as Scott pointed out. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of life in it, but I can't help but feel sort of four or five years down the road, that's just going to taper off and, and not really be a thing anymore. I mean, so many of these things are just a matter of getting attention as a writer. And uh it, once that moment has passed, it's kind of it's kind of hard to get that back. Sam, you know all about getting attention. <laughs> um, well, I was going to say actually to Scott. I mean, based on the likes of Black Lace and Mischief um, and others sort of jumping on this sort of erotic bandwagon. I mean, are we are we going to have the sort of summer of porn in the UK? Well, I mean, to be fair to to both Black Lace, which is connected to me and Mischief, which is part of um, HarperCollins, that they, 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 Mischief launched some weeks ago, so it was before this kicked off. And Black Lace, if they're relaunching that, that must have been planned earlier. They can't just suddenly have done it. Um, yeah. Oh, no, I beg to differ. But, uh, well, wait, feel free. Uh, I can only speak <laughs> for the HarperCollins. I can, only, I can only speak for the HarperCollins one, which has been going on. Oh. The well, planning they pulled that it in 2009. Forward. To coin a phrase. Well, well, actually, no, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Well, maybe they're so- yeah, sod them. They're just jump- they're just jumping on the bagwound, the fuckers. Um, uh, but the, but I've seen the mischief one well, being planned over over some time. What's interesting about about mischief? Not wanting to plug it too much. What, what's fascinating is apparently twenty because it's got its own website. Twenty percent of their overall sales are direct to consumer from the website, and that's DRM free. So, um, and that's from a standing start. It's only been around for a couple of weeks. How much um, erotica is on autonomy? Well. There's erotica and there's erotica. Um, (laughs) There's a fair bit, actually. I mean, one of the things... So um, for those that don't know, autonomy.com is is sometimes been called the digital slush pile. It's a website that's um, owned and run by HarperCollins, but anyone can join in. It's where unpublished authors can post their work. You fellow members rate each other's work, and the top five at the end of each month go and get read by people at HarperCollins. And things have been published from it, and there have been some Sunday Times bestsellers and stuff. Um, so there's all sorts of genres. There is a fair bit of erotica. Uh, one of the things I'm doing with Autonomy at the moment is, try, is trawling through the site, trying to find things we can publish as ebooks. We've done a, a one so far, we've got another three or four planned. And one of the ones we're trying to sign up is, is a, a true story, but would fall under erotica. Um, yeah, there's quite a bit on there, actually. There's quite a bit. Um, is there any good? Uh, well, it's, there's a mix. I mean, some of it is, is pretty good. Um, some of it is work in progress. And a lot of these people are putting work up saying, well, give me some feedback. Well, how can I make this better? Um, but like like anything, I mean, there's tens of thousands of things up there and, and some of it's not very good. A lot of it's fantastic, um, but it's quite it can be quite difficult to find it. Um, yeah, some, some of it's pretty good. But of course, it's it's difficult to to judge. I, I read, I, you know, I bring all my personal prejudices to everything I read and the stuff I like and I don't like, but I have to try and put that fairly objective head on and say right is this good erotica well i'm not an erotica expert um but but i can you know i can sort of tell if it works there are certain signs <laughs> how? there are certain giveaways how there are certain is it well, scientific uh, it's very scientific <laughs> it's very scientific um, yeah, you, what's the yeah, measure you, what's the measure um i well that would be telling um <laughs> Uh, put put Ruler away. Um, <laughs> Scott, well, yeah, can I, I ask a sensible <laughs> question? Um, one of the things that I was going to ask you about mischief um, is, as a sort of traditional publishing imprint, I mean, how far, 
you know, is there a line that it won't cross in the sort of erotic porn genre? And where is that line? Well, uh, interesting, because one of the things I I love about Mischief is they've got, um, uh, the website, every book's got little symbols that tells yeah. you what sort of content you can expect. And it might be uh, domination or... Uh, uh, what's a discipline is a good one, which I think has got a spanking hand on it or something like that. Um, oh. So uh, I think uh, basically, as as long as it's legal, they're they're oh. up for it. It seems to seems to be the impression. Um, oh. I mean, there are certain areas that you you know you don't want to go into because they're rather dodgy. But yeah, pretty pretty much, if oh. consenting um, adults and all that, they're, they're, I don't think there is much of a line. As long as um, it's legal, are we no. back to Rupert Murdoch again at this point? <laughs> yeah, that's very important. Very important. Very important. And, you know, he could be listening. So, um, Scott, I was wondering if we can expect any uh, interactive iPad apps from you at some point. On this. <laughs> yeah, we've got a vibrating one coming up, um, which, I, which I, I, I think would be fantastic. I'm looking uh, forward to the book track edition of uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Is that coming out? Dan Franklin's doing a soundtrack. Oh, apparently. fantastic. So I've heard. Catherine, what's, what, what are people saying out there on the... Uh, Twitterverse. To be honest, not much that's repeatable. <laughs> it, it's all repeatable. Um, one thing that people are, are have mentioned, which is not something I'm afraid I know anything about, but apparently PayPal has some kind of policy regarding risque works. I don't know if anyone with you thinks that that is an issue, something that they need to get around. Well, actually, iBooks as well has censorship, doesn't it? So, um, but mm. so few books are sold there that. It, relatively speaking i guess it doesn't make any difference but um i was actually going to ask you scott whether publishers are now kind of trawling sort of fanfic and erotic fiction websites at the weekend to find the next 50 shades of gray um get, get, publishing doesn't have a good track record here there, there's bound to be some copycat publishing over the next six months or so um now to be completely fair to the publishing industry, that's because lots of people will buy it and 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 as brooke said earlier there's a, probably a six month nine month window where if you can get the next Fifty Shades of Grey out, you've got a chance to sell quite a few. Um, I, I suspect they're going through their backlist. So I did a blog post the other day about um, about the uh, Newsnight's uh, missed opportunity uh, by not having myself and Brooke on. Um, and I remember I was talking about the, a book called The Butcher uh, yeah. by Alina Race, which came out, what, 20 years ago, something like that, um, and how that sort of sparked... Uh, and, but that's no longer in print, so I was, I was just speculating um, that, that actually publishers are probably looking through their backlist. What, what erotica have they published in the last 10, 20 years that they've still got the rights to that they could do something with quite quickly? Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see ebooks of, of some sort of classic erotica coming out soon. You were asking for people to recommend their favourite erotica. What, what, what were the books that came up? Oh, now you asked me, and I can't check with Hang on, I, I, I'm, I'm going to look. Um, if I make a noise on my keyboard, I do apologise. It will be my fingers <laughs> that, that are doing that. Drink, as everyone. Should, as I just scroll, scroll through my. Um, there was there were two there were actually a couple that uh, a lot of people um, agreed on. Uh, one was I believe um, hang on because uh, I've been reading the Hand Reared Boy um, by Brian Aldiss, which is basically about wanking, mm. and uh, <laughs> but you know very good wanking. Um, uh, Nichol, Nicholson Baker. Oh, the Formosa Nicholson Baker. Yeah, uh, Vox and the Fomata by Nicholson Baker got mentioned by quite a few people, and the other one was Alan Moore and Melinda Gibby's Lost Girls. Um, those were the two that kept. Those were the, the two that kept coming up, and people say actually these are really, really good, and they're and they're a bit filthy. But publish, publishers are not known for responding very quickly, though. So do you think these will be put into uh, to ebooks in any time soon? 
Well, I think I, th I think uh, ebook uh, the, the way ebooks work it allows you to. One of the reasons that publishers perhaps are perceived as not reacting quickly is historically they've been driven by print, and through print they've been driven by retailers. And if you go to you know, I was one of these retailers. If you go to Waterstones now and say, I'm going to publish something in three weeks' time, like, oh, hang on a minute, I've planned all my promotions. What are you going to do? You'll have to pay me extra to get that in. So yeah. actually, the sort of four, six-month cycle that they're used to doing with print retail is one of the reasons why publishing is um, traditionally quite slow. With ebooks, you could take something today and you could turn it around in a week if you really wanted to. So I don't think there's the excuse now, and I suspect some... And, and of course, you know, there are some really great people working in the digital divisions of, of all the big publishers and also some of the, the smaller independent publishers who could turn this stuff around quite quickly if they wanted to. So I don't think... I think there's an opportunity there. Is there any sense it. you think that booksellers are doing the same thing and moving slightly quicker as Waterstairs is going to start? Um, or is James Dort going to open up shelves to erotica, do you think, over the next few weeks? It would be interesting to see. I mean... I mean, every Waterstone store has got some sort of vampire display, haven't they, still? What do they call it? Dark mm. romance? Is paranormal romance, I think. Paranormal or romance? Dark paranormal romance? I, I love the idea of a paranormal romance, you know, having sex with a ghost. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. I'm saying nothing. <gasps> Sorry, I'm just pausing, I'm just pausing <laughs> imagining how, uh, how that would work. Um, <laughs> well, right. you know, we could have Casper fanfic kind of making it into the big time just 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 sort of uh, sorry, yeah, just sort of brainstorming here is that could be my next book isn't casper a young a, a young person's brand <laughs> well you know it, it was but so but catching catching just the audience saying. that were watching casper whenever that was five eight years ago they're going to be proper grown-ups now they want to know how how is Christina Ricci grown up? And no, they and... don't. No, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. They do. Everyone else. They're, they're innocent. Christine. Now, Brooke, Imagine you've. you've, you've I, I want to talk about you. You've sort of moved on from Bell now. You've got a you've got a non-fiction book coming out. Yeah. Um, called the Sex Myth. Yeah. Um. I mean. I mean. Basically, this sort of followed on from the problem of once it come out. You know, what do you do? I had planned to write more Belle de Jour books, but it, it sort of became untenable to do so. And um, the publisher, of course, they had no idea about my background at all. And they were quite interested in the fact that I had been a forensic scientist and, you know, various other things. So um, it just sort of became an idea that was floated around because I was being asked to do a lot of uh, advocacy things or to comment on a lot of topics like prostitution, like sexualization. And it, it did seem the natural next step. But I do have to say that, that that's very definitely something I wouldn't have been brave enough to do without the support of the publisher behind me because... Uh, the very hot button issues. I mean, it's it's quite one thing to write erotica, and people can discuss whether or not you know they find it well written, or if it turns them on, or if it's interesting to them or not. Once you start getting into uh, politics, popular science, naming these things at a mainstream audience, um, this is quite quite a lot of potential backlash that goes along with that. So I've, I've read and two reviews of your book, one in the Telegraph, one in the Guardian. Both were um, oh, both hostile. excellent. They both loved. <laughs> <laughs> but why is that do you think well it, it's it's one of the things that i i suppose the, the the whole kind of setup of the book really is that most of the public discussion about things 
to do with in surrounding sex uh, kind of come into it with a lot of presuppositions about what is the right thing to say or think about it. And uh, this means that really when we talk about a lot of these topics, there are a lot of areas within it that go unexplored. And and certainly I, I think that definitely the, the uh, Fifty Shades phenomenon touches on this is female desire. Uh, we get very used to having things presented through a sort of, you know, a male gaze or, or things that are orientated towards uh, a male vision of the world. But of course, very quietly, you have uh, online erotica, online uh, pornography sales, feminist porn, uh, sex toy shopping that women are doing. And the statistics surrounding these things are absolutely fascinating. So on the one hand, we're getting this uh, story sold to us that, oh, women don't respond to these things and and women are more about the emotions and the relationship. And, and then you have everyone sort of secretly wanking off to thoughts of Christian Grey and his uh, magic meat flute. So it's, it's that kind of disjunction that, that so the you, book is trying to... Do you buy into this theory that this, this is, this is mummy porn? Because uh, I think Sam um, in the email exchange well, had disagreed with that. Very- it's very reductive to say mummy porn because mm. that gives you a very sort of dowdy vision of it. But the thing that I find interesting is is it does exploit the female gaze uh, much more so than the male gaze, and and which I think again is is a phenomenon we have seen from like uh, the explosion of say Anne Summers on the high street, making these things more palatable to a female audience, but also trying to cater to their tastes a bit more. And certainly in in that sort of thing, it's it's almost like it's it's erotica that's very much more catering towards uh, a very carnal taste that's very rarely acknowledged in women but definitely exists. But why is there so much hostility to that um, so-called carnal taste in in, a, in, a, in the broadsheet media? I mean, I read Julie Bindel's piece, the interview she did with Today, you, which just, yeah. which just seemed extraordinarily <laughs> hostile to you as a person. Well, you know, I, I, I don't think she's hostile to me as a person so much as my ideas, to be fair to her. Um... And I knew that going into it, though. I, I knew meeting her that there were going to be very few things that we actually agreed on as concerned the topics in the book, as concerned things to do with sex. Um, you know, so I, so I I would have been very surprised, let's say, if she'd found Jesus on this one, if she'd actually come away and thought, well, actually, I thought the book was, was excellent, well-argued, and I agreed with everything she writes. That would have been the shocker of the century. Um, and I, I definitely wasn't expecting that. But it was good to get in a room with her and just, just kind of, you know, uh, take the lumps out of each other and, and also see what happens. And, and, you know, from my point of view, I expected that she would uh, stay true to the ideologies that she's embraced and, and the views that she's embraced. I really didn't expect anything different. But I think the important thing is opening up this discussion around these topics. Sam, you did say to me by email that you didn't think this was really about um, mummy porn. You thought it was more about... Um... Well, two things. Basically, the expression mummy porn is is so awful on so many levels. And I was thinking about it, if we uh, flipped it and called it daddy porn, you know, we'd expect people to be arrested for daddy porn, basically, wouldn't we? It's, it has all the wrong connotations. So why somehow mummy, mummy porn is, is being allowed into our sort of, you know, vocabulary is, is hideous. But... Um, and, and actually someone on Twitter pointed me to a book 
by a traditional publisher called Porn for New Mums, which, um, you know, in itself is fine in concept, but had a picture of a dad changing a baby's nappy on the front, um, which, you know... it's Ooh, just bad taste. Yeah, just extraordinary why anyone thinks that acceptable. But, um, no, I was just wondering whether, you know, the Fifty Shades of Grey has actually been a book picked up by husbands to sort of source things up in the bedroom, you know, the sort of new sexy pair of knickers. That's that's what I was thinking. Is, is it all mums in the playground or is it dad saying, read this and get excited, honey? Scott? It's... It... <laughs> well, sort of re Read this, this love, I'll be up in five minutes. I don't know how, how many men are, uh, are buying it. I mean, I'd be interested uh, to know. I mean, booksellers, who, if there are any booksellers listening in, they can probably tweet and, and say what the mixture is. Um, I don't know. I, I, I might be stereotypical about this. What, what I found, I mean, I read in preparation for the Newsnight um, uh, interview that didn't happen. And I'll tell you what, they're all, all the producers of Newsnight are listening to this now and kicking themselves um, for not having us on. Um, but when I was looking through the Amazon reviews, what I found interesting was the negative reviews of, of, of Fifty Shades were, were basically saying it's repetitive, it's really badly written. A lot of the very, very positive reviews were... I love the love story. I love the romance. The romance side of this book is is great. That seemed to be what people, what, what was appealing to people. There weren't as many, I mean, there are on there, but there weren't as many people saying, oh, the sex scenes were amazing. It was more, it appeared to be the love story that they were reviewing well. Um, and, and that makes me think, but perhaps that's what, you know, if if that's the message that's being sent out, if that's what people are saying is good about it, then I, I'd, I'd be surprised if lots of blokes were buying it. I wouldn't be surprised if lots of blokes were buying it if it was full of filthy sex scenes. I mean, it does break the conventions, as you mentioned earlier, Scott, in that you have to get to page um, 100, 102 before the first sex <laughs> scene happens, by which point I was hooked on the relationship, the, the intricacies between Anastasia and... Um, um, Mr. Gray, uh, it was really, it, 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 really it really romantic. was compelling. You're a big romantic, a big soft romantic, and you love that, and that's why you—that's why you were hooked. Well, without, I'm without anticipating fishing. what might happen in books two and three already. I mean, it's just—it's just extraordinary. I, I, I can imagine. Catherine, what are other people there anticipating? <laughs> I think Sam's getting a lot of kudos for her. Really? Uh, uh, <laughs> yes. Well, I, th I assume it's what she's just said there, not the smart that's <laughs> been happening throughout the evening but yeah i think i think people kind of appreciate what she's saying there about um the distinction of of this as mummy porn not necessarily being appropriate well how, how would they redefine it then let's redefine the genre well, wasn't, wasn't wasn't chiclet hated initially and seen as demeaning yeah it was and and it's but but then it's also become a useful shorthand because you know when people ask you what you write it's like oh well it was a blogger and uh, I, I usually just skip to chiclet and they go oh all right and you can you can move on um i think i think unfortunately when it comes to things like this it's it's kind of hard to craft something that's acceptable to everyone and unfortunately i don't know who coined mummy porn but it's it, it's uh kind of there so if we want somebody to come up with something better somewhere out there listeners twitter 
come up with something better, something awesome, and we'll all start using it and we'll see if this takes off. Because, yeah, it is. It also sort of implies that only mothers would be interested in that, which which in and of itself is, is a bit silly to suggest that, you know, erotica only a mother could love, which sounds terrible. If they do, I'm prepared to offer them a slot on the show in two weeks' time. I am thinking of you. <laughs> Um, 451 out there, the mysterious man. <laughs> Somebody recommended Clit Lit to me earlier. That's oh. all. That's, that's, that's from 10 years ago. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's right up there with sexpert. Just kind of like, I don't know. Or shit lit. Bit clinical. <laughs> no. Brooke, what was Fist it? lit. Ah. <laughs> what was it called when you were first publishing? Um, what, what, there must have been a term for it then. I, I think actually it was just getting lumped under blogging and mm. that was something that kind of provided fodder for the initial backlash against my writing was, of course, there were a lot of bloggers writing about things not to do with sex and they were all coming out saying, oh, you know, blogging isn't just about sex, you know. Um, but it was it was just a very sort of convenient shorthand to be applied to it because at that point quite a lot of the of the public had not heard of blogging and didn't quite understand what the point of it was uh so i can completely understand why people objected to it um and yeah i think now looking back people just go sex bloggers uh because obviously there was a, a sort of spate of books following following me and girl with a one-track mind of of the sort of derivative well i, I shouldn't say that because they're probably better writers than me um but, you know, sort of publishers kind of getting on that sex blogger bandwagon and uh, feeling like they had to follow that up. Catherine, how's the drinking game going on? I think we've killed them. Have we? Oh. Too many in your end days. <laughs> so, so there won't be any people left for The Apprentice. It'll, it'll just, just be me asked. on my own with a bottle. We've destroyed I've the apprentice. Just been asked if, Philip, I've just been asked if you're going to make sure that there's a happy ending. It's happy finish. Happy finish. Is I'm afraid that, that's, that's Peter, the producer's job, not mine. <laughs> it's on the executive menu and it'll cost you more. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm spent. The Viagra has worn off. The rubber's now chafing. We've only got this room for another ten minutes. So what I want to do to end this debate... Is, is to work out what's the real phenomenon here. It's either porn, it's either Twilight, or it's either ebooks. So I'm going to go around each guest and ask you which you think it is that's making um, Fifty Shades such the huge hit it is. Sam, you, porn, Twilight, or ebook? Porn. <laughs> Scott. It's the promise of porn. <laughs> Catherine. Yeah, I think the promise of porn is probably fair. You know what? I th I think it's Twilight. I think it's the story, and I think it's the ebook phenomenon that's made it such a, um, a newsworthy okay. event. Brooke, you're you're disagree, I'm sure. Uh, I I would go fifty percent Twilight, fifty percent porn, and maybe not Twilight per se, but just you know, as I was saying earlier, this whole kind of this kind of gaze of looking at these these young shirtless men running around in the Pacific Northwest and and thinking, oh, quite fanciable actually. <laughs> Thank you, um, everybody. Thank you to Scott. You're welcome. Thank you to Brooke. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And, of course, thank you to Sam and Catherine. Thank you. This is Philip Jones. 
see you in two weeks' time, where I think we'll be discussing startups. Oh, good. And I put my clothes on now. <laughs> the Naked Book is produced by Peter Cox and Radio Latopia in association with the bookseller. Join us live in the chat room every fortnight. Latopia.tv slash naked. Get, I'll get dressed. Fine. You can all get dressed as well. Everyone can get dressed now. Radio Latopia. Intelligent listening for smart people. Share us with your friends on Facebook or Twitter now.